0: Hello, my name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is, With Respect... Today's guest, and with respect, is uh, our old friend Robin Allen, who is the proprietor owner of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. And we had a prior show with her earlier this uh, fall, and we had we there's so many things to talk about that we decided to do a second show. So this is for Christmas, uh, the winter of 2023. With respect. Robin Allen. Robin how are you today?
1: I'm great thanks John.
0: Good. When we left off last the last show uh, you were talking about all kinds of interesting things uh, child's books young adult books and whatnot but we left out a whole slug of things that people might be interested in in hearing about Um, and so I thought we'd come back and and, uh, finish that up so what what are we going to talk about tonight?
1: Oh, so many books. I mean, we just couldn't do it all in one program, and uh, we left out. I mean, I had to stop, and so we're going to start with mysteries and then go with some nonfiction uh, of, of special interest for this season, okay. and uh, a lot of people, I, I know for myself, I haven't been a big mystery reader, and uh, I kind of got a list of, of six things why people read mysteries. And uh, so I thought we'd go through those first and then go through some mysteries and then sure. move on to some nonfiction. And uh, I would say the, the first one is, of course, pretty obvious. And it's, it's to escape into another world. Now, note I did not say escape from the real world. But when it comes to crime fiction, this is a matter of personal choice. So, you know, readers vary it as to how much they want to be reminded of the realities and and anxieties of daily life. Like, there's sub-genres, and maybe you can kind of listen to some of these, John, and see which ones are of interest to you personally. Mm -hmm. Sure. So there's traditional classic whodunits, PI, private investigator novels, police procedurals, historical mysteries, medical thrillers, legal thrillers, forensic thrillers, Paranormal and romantic suspense.
0: Well, that's a lot. Uh, that's, There's a that's lot. A you, wide I, range there.
1: There is. There is so much.
0: Well, you know, uh, I let me just comment generally that um, I love mysteries, uh, especially when the books are are well done, well written. Uh, and but I look, I yes, I look to see if there are uh, characters, or situations, or locales. If I've I remember reading a book about uh, uh, that I had talked to but to the author about in this program about uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina and that was a fascinating world it was a different world it was a real world uh, it was an actual place but it was not some place that I had been before so that was interesting so I'd say locale is another interesting thing well
1: it, uh, locale is one of my six here and it's a uh, Wherever, you know, if it's big cities or villages or where the story is set has always been essential to the plot. Mm-hmm. And in, in modern mysteries, writers have tried to get one up on the competition by finding a setting that has either not been used before or a setting that can be explored from a different perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what would be an example so, of that?
1: Um, well, you could, can, can, if you're going to do a big city, you could do something like instead of this is just a real simple one instead of Manhattan you could deal with something like Brooklyn or uh, one one small neighborhood for instance mm-hmm. or um, um, you know either you know, you could just really break it down into anything like that so that's what
0: okay and how do you how do you when you use the words uh, p- police procedural what does that uh, what does that mean
1: I would say uh, police procedurals would be um, where let's say a police department takes a case and breaks it down into how they would handle that case mm-hmm and it may not necessarily be one person leading, it could be uh, maybe one precinct doing that. I mean, there's just so many. I'm just to, you know, I'm just speaking kind of in general before we get into these other books. Sure. Well, so yeah. I, I don't okay. Well let's let's, um, let's start talking another,
0: about the books though. Um, so and we can come I, we can circle back.
1: Hmm? Yeah. I mean there's complex characters, have got all kinds of social issues a mental challenge. And, and, you know, just sometimes you're just learning stuff in a a mystery too. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with somebody who has, uh, as people are really uh, I would say familiar with, and that would be the Lincoln Lawyer series. Oh yeah. And that's Michael Conley. And they call it the Lincoln Lawyer because that's where he, his business is in his Lincoln town car. And, um, so it's Mickey Haller, and in this one, it's he's, uh, he teams up again with a retired LAPD detective, Harry Bosch, who actually has his own series, separate series. and By, it's,
0: by uh, Michael Connolly.
1: Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a different character, only he has his own, you, uh, you know, an offshoot in Maine to solve the murder of a CIA agent who knew America's dirtiest secrets. It's a woman, and when she is murdered in rural rural maine, government officials are really worried about national security because she has a laptop and her phone, of course, have state secrets, and they're missing in the wrong hands. It could cause all kinds of uh, danger to a lot of uh, to countless operatives. So he's an ex ranger, and he has spent his time in the military preparing to take on this kind of thing. So he's dropped into small-town Maine. They have their secrets. They look at him as an outsider. And he has to ingratiate himself to locals. And uh, that is, you know, it's gotten really good reviews. And I think everybody would like it. David Baldacci. I mean, there's not really a bad David Baldacci book.
0: I, I've read his books, and I do like have them. Have you? I do. Oh, oh, yeah, good. I do like them, yeah.
1: Oh good. Now, now I would say about 10 years ago there was a book by an author Sophie Hanna and I can't recall the book but for some reason we got a call saying that she'd like to sign at our bookstore. Really? And I thought I think she's from Cambridge, pretty sure. Mhm. She was going to and I I'm sorry it's it's it is the mystery convention. It was being held in Seattle at the time. For some reason, she wanted to stop at our bookstore and sign. She wasn't going to Chicago. I picked her up at the airport, and she signed her book. And I, I just and, and away she went to Seattle. And then she went back to England. But Sophie Hannah was chosen by the estate of. Uh, Agatha Christie for writing the Herc- Hercule Poirot with a cold. I'm sorry, I'm in a little trouble here, but it's and it's called Hercule Poirot's Silent Night. It's by Sophie Hannah. This is, I think, her. She's written quite a few books. <clears throat> pardon me, and has gotten all kinds of accolades for her books. I read a couple of them, and they're pretty darn good. But this one, Poirot is spending. The week before Christmas, with his inspector friend Edward Catchpool, and in comes Catchpool's mother. She sweeps in and invites them to her estate, her beautiful mansion, to spend the holiday with her and her friends. And unfortunately, she has a a family member going to a hospital. And that same hospital has had some a murder at this local hospital, and so she's concerned. So he gets caught up into that. She's quite a character too. She's this real flippant, callous, funny woman. But it's quite a it's her fifth book interpreting Agatha Christie's uh, Poirot, and especially if you like Golden Age mysteries, she really captures it without. You know, sometimes you're a little suspicious, a little doubtful, whether authors could do that. But in this case, she does a brilliant job.
0: Well, you know, there's there's something interesting. This twist here. Uh, first of all, I was watching a TV program by, out of Britain, a documentary on her life. Uh, that is Agatha Christie's life. And uh, in the course of it, they talked about Sophie, Sophie Hannah coming in to do. Uh, at least one, no kidding, toss, a, you know, a, a, a toss up or whatever they call it, of the Poirot character. But in addition to that, um, one of my favorite Brit- British writers is David Horowitz, and um, probably Anthony Horowitz. Sorry, uh, Anthony Horowitz. And in um, one of his later books, he has—I uh, uh, can't remember the name of it now—but he talks about. The uh, main, the main villain, uh, who we don't know as the villain until later on, and the main heroine, who we do know as the heroine from the beginning, uh, talk about who is going to write a certain book in the style of an author who has just uh, been murdered, mm-hmm. and uh, and they say, well, it's it's Sophie Hannah is going to do it, and I thought, ah. I love it, I love it. So there is a Sophie Hannah, and she does write uh, mystery stories, and writes in other modes than her own words, her own probably her own uh, 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 plots.
1: Right. So it make a nice, uh, a nice gift too. I mean, you get your mystery, and you get a little Christmas thrown in there, kind of thing. So. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's
0: let's take a break now, and uh, come back and and uh, hit some more of these. They're all very interesting so far. Thanks very much. Uh, This is John Smetanka. We're on With Respect, and our guest uh, today is Robin Allen, the owner and proprietor of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. And we're talking about uh, things that might happen um, when you walk into a bookstore or you uh, go to a library or whatever and look for for something good to read, and we're talking about that now, a number of Now It's Mystery Stories. Uh, We'll be right back. On with respect with Robin Allen, the as I always like to say, the chief cook and bottle washer for uh, Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. We've been talking about now mysteries that um, uh, of various kinds uh, we've, we thought about and teased out a whole wide range of, of different kinds of mysteries, and we're going to talk about some more. Uh, this is John Smutanka. So we left off. You were talking. You've gone through several good, interesting books. What else do we have?
1: I have three more, three more mysteries. One is—I uh, I don't know. Have you ever read anything by Lee Child?
0: Uh, I think I have. Yes, but Jack I'm not. a Reacher. Yes, yes, I read a couple of his books.
1: Well, I just didn't know he has twenty-eight of them.
0: Holy mackerel!
1: I did not know that. So this is his. This is his twenty-eighth. It's called *The Secret* by Lee Child, a Jack Reacher story. And uh, this takes place in Chicago of 1992. And this one kind of fills in the blanks, the gaps of his career in the military. Mm-hmm. 1992. And this is, I guess, believe it or not, in 28, this is a previously unexplored time in his life.
2: Mm. So
1: he's Reacher is part of a task force set up to find out the reason for a series of killings made to look like suicides Uh, and he soon figures out that he and other members of the task force are being set up for failure but of course he he doesn't take kindly to being manipulated so this is uncharted territory but it uh it's a really fast and enjoyable fast-moving story so i have not read any of lee childs but uh uh, very popular, very popular in the store, and uh, and this says we have signed copies of that too. Okay, so if you're looking for a Christmas gift, a nice signed book needs a little extra sometimes. Now, if now we're going to kind of go back to more of a, what I like to call a more of a cozy kind of thing, but um, this one is called Murder on the Christmas Express by Alexandra Benedict. And she sort of, this is kind of tears a leaf out of the Agatha Christie playbook. And she sets up her tail and it's at a posh locomotive full of suspicious Brits. Okay. I don't know. Did you, were you on the train at all when you were
0: I was. Overseas? Okay. I, I've, I've ridden on the train and uh, uh, riding on the trains of, of England. I met uh, very interesting people, including the person that, uh, uh, is very close to me now.
1: Oh, how about some suspicious Brits? <laughs> okay. There's
0: those too, I'll tell you. Yeah,
1: there's those too. So the passengers aboard this sleeper train from London to Edinburgh, Edinburgh is uh, for the Christmas holiday, gets a rude awakening when they derail. It sounds familiar, Murder on the Art Express, mm-hmm. when they derail in a remote, snowy section of the Scottish Highlands. And mm-hmm. Among the marooned are Roz Parker, a recently retired Metropolitan Police Detective, you have to have one of those, who's on her way to visit her pregnant daughter, Mary. Pregnant daughter. Then there's Mary, a self-described crone, who's traveling with her doting son, Tony. And then there's Grant, a reality TV star, Meg, a social media influencer, and a team of college students preparing to audition for a A popular quiz show. So, after, shortly after the derailment, derailment, the social media influencer Meg is murdered, and of course, Roz takes up the role of investigator,
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and of course, determined to find out who did it before other passengers die, which sounds like with this, you know, sounds like maybe that could happen. So if I guess there is a little bit of roughness to some of this. I guess there is, uh, you know, it's not exactly all fun. There's some. I won't go into some stuff, but it's. But if you're willing to take some of the, the uh, some of the violence with it, they're in for a really ripping mystery.
0: You know, it's very interesting. Well done. You mentioned uh, the train from London to Edinburgh. Uh, that was, in fact, the train that uh, I met my uh, my very close no and wonderful kidding. friend. Oh, yes. But actually, I hate to tell you this, but the highlands are north of Edinburgh. And, uh, the, and I, so I'm not sure about exactly how many mountains there are between uh, Edinburgh and London, but there are a few north of that. And that's, that's what, what I thought. Yeah. That
1: doesn't make sense then for the story,
0: does it? Uh, probably not, but that's all right. Maybe they're going to Inverness anyway. Oh, well, yeah, let's you, go. You, let's Let's you know, not challenge things... No. That's
1: it. one of the things that readers really watch. Sometimes the technology is not appropriate for the time period and we catch that and and readers will catch that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm, interesting. Okay. All right. So the last mystery I have is a fun one. I have read a couple of these and my sister-in-law is an animal lover from the word go. And this is a part of a series of Chet and Bernie, and it's the series is written by Spencer Quinn, and this one is called Up on the Woof Top. <laughs> now, Chet and Bernie, Chet is the canine half of the, it's called the Little Detective Agency, and Chet is, does a lot of the narration, and a lot of times he kind of sees the overall picture and Bernie seems like the stupid dog sometimes, I guess. I don't know, but he's the narrator. And oh, I know this sounds funny, but he's, he's, this time they are at uh, Dame Carlisle's Kringle Ranch, high in Colorado ski country. And he is hired by her to go to this plush ranch because. I kid you not, there's a missing reindeer.
0: Uh oh. I,
1: I know, I tell you. All right. Okay. So, it, he, he, you know, Spencer Quinn just continues to perfectly capture this inner voice of this canine detective and the Christmas, you know, setting. He has a lot of wordplay, too, and colloquialisms that are just uh, clever. Like I said, I read two of them. My, my sister in law, Roseanne, just loves these. And, it, and I know I hope she won't listen to this because guess what she's getting for Christmas.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: so that's that's uh, pretty much for mysteries. I want I want to make sure we got to uh, we got to some nonfiction, and uh, then maybe from there I don't know we could just, maybe I could discuss some other things too. Well, let's All let, right. Let's,
0: let's uh, double back here, and I want to okay. bring in an illusion that uh, or a relationship that I. Uh, I got from a completely different source that may explain at least part of the attraction of murder mysteries, and that is this: um, we are not only when we read that murder mystery, escaping from our our own reality into um, a world of our choosing. You know, whatever it is—Edinburgh or North Carolina or Manhattan or Brooklyn or. Uh, Baroda or whatever, uh, but there's something special, and now it may be that there's a detective involved, or we may like that, like that character uh, who is the heart of solving the problem, uh, or a, a police officer, or uh, some a medical examiner. There's a famous writer who uh, writes about a medical examiner who uh, solves ah. crimes, uh, and so on. But I, there is something else, and I, I, uh, I attribute this to the author of the play, uh, J.B., uh, Archibald McLeish. And in the play, the, there is a, two characters. The main characters are God and the devil, and they get together and they, it's, they replay the story of Job in sort of a modern uh, character uh, uh, study. But the two of them put when they're, they're actually concession salespersons as they're getting ready to go around and sell at the circus that's about to perform in their venue. And the two of them put on masks that they found uh, alongside the, one of the aisles. One is a devil mask and the other is a god mask. And the two of them, when they put these masks on, become the two characters. And the, and the, the dialogue then... Uh, is between God and the devil. And they talk about all, a lot of very deep things. But God says, you know, I've got to to wonder, why is it that people do things, you know, like in Eden, why did why didn't she do it? And the devil said, it is the scent of dung beneath the fingernails. And that is the scent of evil. It's attractive in an, in a horrible way. You look at a murder, it's a horrible thing. And I've seen murdered bodies, many of them, and they're not pretty. They're ugly. And it's a part of life that you 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 uh, hope you'd never have to run into. And and then ninety five percent of the the American public has never seen a murdered body. Uh, those who have are are We'll never forget it. But it is the scent, it is the scent of evil, that um, we, can, we can stay away from it. We can close the book when it's over. Generally speaking, the, the, the evil is vanquished, and good survives. But we have had that experience. We've had that touch of seeing how bad things can happen. Uh, done by human beings, and um, you know, it's it's. I think it's an interesting comment that McLe- McLeish made, um,
1: really?
0: which I think uh, rather rather deep, rather deep. But uh, I think it has some value to it. But anyway, mm. let's let's move on.
1: That's re- interesting, very interesting, John.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So a lot a lot to think about. It re- it really is, uh, and uh, you. I mean, you can learn so much too from. Uh, from that because and, and we expect crime writers to do their research a mm-hmm. lot of times not all the time sometimes there's cozies but still we expect them to get it right and they can deal with topics that um you know that we don't deal with like you said the dead bodies kind of thing that but that is interesting that something about it and every mystery a lot of them there's a dead there's a murder. Mm-hmm. Is a murder, really, mm-hmm. very, very dark, very deep,
0: very deep. Okay. All right. Well, we're All going, right. We're going to take another break right now. That's good. We're talking to Robin Allen, the owner, proprietor, and chief cook and bottle washer for Forever Books in beautiful downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. We're talking about books uh, that uh, might be coming out of interest uh, to the, or that are coming out that are of interest to to. Uh, So far we've been talking about mystery readers, but now we're going to be talking about some others. Uh, This is John Smetanka. We're on With Respect, and we'll be right back. Now back in, with respect, with Robin Allen, the owner of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan, talking about books that are coming out and that might be of interest to people around this time of year, that is, around Christmas time of of 2023. Uh, this is John Smetanka. So, all right, Robin, what else do we have?
1: Well, I guess I'm going to move on to nonfiction, those true... Uh, true stories that, uh, especially my personal interest, of course, is history. Uh, so, we're going to do, you know, go through some of those that I think especially people might be interested if they're looking for a gift for somebody who likes to read nonfiction. Okay.
0: All right.
1: So, my favorite book of the year in nonfiction was a history book, of course. And it's, uh, and it is, I believe it was. New York Times. I mean, it's one. I know it's one of their top 100. It might be one of their top 10, but it is Wager by David Gran. He is the author of Killers of the Flower Moon. That has been a, a program. I actually, I think it's on Netflix or something, a series. Mm-hmm. And that was a bestseller. And it's it's a really concise and riveting account of the HMS Wager. Which was a British man-of-war that ran aground on a barren island off the Chilean coast of Patagonia in 1741. So it was part of a squadron sent to capture uh, Spanish galleon treasure during uh, a war skirmish that was going on between them, and it became the wager became separated from the other ships while rounding the Cape Horn and wrecked several weeks later. So the starving crew soon disintegrated into, like, rival factions. One is led by a gunner, John Bocasley, I think, I don't remember his name, is, by the gunner, and he became increasingly critical of the captain, David Cheap. So five months after they'd been marooned, the gunner and 80 other crew members uh, commandeered the Wager's longboat and two other small vessels, and set sail for Brazil, leaving Cheap and his few remaining loyalists to their fate. So uh, he ends ends up surviving, they end up surviving a 3,000-mile journey through the Straits of Magellan and up the coast of Argentina, but he was treated as a hero until Cheap miraculously appears back in England and accuses him of mutiny. Mm -hmm. So fascinating, really fascinating details about life at sea, including a firsthand account by 16-year-old midshipman, John Byron, grandfather of the poet Lord Byron. Wow. Yes.
0: No That's kidding. Cool. That's cool. Very cool.
1: And yes, he was one of the ones who stayed with Captain David Cheap. So it's it's quite enthralling. I can't tell you the ending, but the ending is like, What? really? That's what happened? So, hmm. All right. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, and it reads like a novel. I mean, it's not uh, some, some historical uh, uh, history, write, uh History writers are just a little too academia. Okay. Which is fine. I read some of that too. Okay. My second favorite nonfiction book is on, called On Great Fields: The Life and Unlikely Heroism of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Yes, a Civil War hero. So uh, he's a wonderful biographer. Um, this guy is. Uh, anyway, he he wrote this book. Uh, it's a really I would say, a, a admiring portrait of Civil War hero and politician Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, whose actions he defended Little Round Top during the Battle of Gettysburg and earned him widespread acclaim. Uh, and, and during this, he was, they, I mean, they ran out of bullets. So he just said, you know, fix your bayonets and charge down the hill to the Confederates who surrendered. They were in shock <laughs> and they surrendered, even though. They had no idea that they had they were out of ammunition. Mm-hmm. And it turned the turned the tide of the battle and ensured a unit you know, victory. But this guy, you know, Chamberlain was from Brewer, Maine. And his early years were really focused around Christian faith, a love of music, commitment to education. And he becomes this uh, you know, he's he's a bookworm college and seminary student and a risk-taking Civil War soldier. And he just went back and back, and he got wounded like three times, seriously wounded at one point that he really suffered through the rest of his life, through his his, uh, wounds. Uh, He went on to serve four terms as governor of Maine and president of uh, Bowdoin College, which was, I guess it was... Established in 1794, I have it here in my notes, but he became president four times, which was unusual. So quite an interesting, so especially if you're a Civil War fan and general history reader,
0: well, take note of this book. Here's, here's an additional thing about uh, Joshua Chamberlain. <clears throat> he came back after those wounds, uh, as you say, very serious, uh, but he came back to serve, became a general. And uh, Grant had him accept the surrender of much of the Confederate Army at Appomattox. It was his command that uh, stood by as the Confederate soldiers marched uh, between the ranks of the Union troops and laid down their weapons. And, and
1: curiously, John, that did not come out till years later. Yes,
0: that's right. There was a great Years book. and years later. There was a great book that he wrote, uh, a couple of books that where he um, he talked about his experiences, and it was, uh, you know, for a fellow who accomplished all that he did, and I yes. mean he accomplished a lot, um, a very humble person, very, it's amazing, just amazing,
1: just ju- I mean yes, yeah, just amazing, and just kept going back and and wanted to, you know, when the uh, I mean, he just he wanted to keep going back into battle. And when the Spanish-American War, he wanted to he wanted to participate in that. He was so old. It was like, yeah, but uh, and it's interesting, too, because his house where he lived is still there.
2: Mm.
1: And so you can you could see where he lived. But uh, just an amazing. Now, a book that I did not uh, read is Longstreet. This is the Confederate general. Mm hmm. Uh, who was robert e. lee's called him his trusted war horse mm-hmm. and quite he had quite a remarkable post war conversion he became an you know he was an ardent confederate to an ardent republican and he, uh, grant sent him down to New Orleans because there was uh, uh, the The white supremacists attempted to overthrow the Republican-controlled Louisiana state government in New Orleans, but Longstreet, he set up this interracial militia, mostly black, to stop the coup attempt, and the backlash against him for firing on former Confederates was just totally vicious. There There are no statues to Longstreet in the South.
0: He was also it. he was also accused of blackening the reputation of General Robert E. Lee, uh, whereas yes. um, and some were would blame him for the Confederate defeat at uh, Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and um, it was probably much truer uh, to say that uh, it was Robert E. Lee whose uh, decisions uh, or who where fate intervened. And it was out of the control of particular generals uh, that the Battle of Gettysburg was won by the North and lost by the South.
1: Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, And actually, there were more Union soldiers killed than there were Confederate.
0: Mm. I did not
1: know that. I did not know that. Okay. So now we're going to just kind of skip around here. And this is this is kind of a fun book, especially if you have a sports fan. And this is called... Uh, football 100 it's put out by Kirkus reviews and this is uh, by the editors of a popular sports publication and they rank the best 100 players in NFL history in descending order Hmm. so I would say if you have a football fan there's going to be probably a lot of arguments on this list here mm-hmm. you, sp- you might have a few purists who might have problems with the order but uh, what's interesting is the book includes forwards by bruce smith and mike ditka Ah, so very engaging nfl fans a good a good gift book
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right okay and while we're speaking of mike ditka this has nothing to do with mike ditka but chicago yeah um, the uh, book I read was uh, *The Burning of the World: The Great Chicago Fire and the War for the City's Soul*, and this hmm. is by one of my favorite authors, Scott Berg, Scott W. Berg. And it's it's really an enthralling story of the Great Chicago Fire and the power struggle over the city's reconstruction in the wake of the tragedy, um, 1871, and over the course of three days. It burned more than three square miles of the 34 year old city. It killed at least 300. They say 300, but the book does admit that probably more. And it left 100,000 people, a third of its population, homeless. But what was interesting, I thought, was even before the fire had run its course, the municipal government set up already, it set up makeshift. Uh, shift headquarters in a church and made arrangements for public safety, food kitchens, emergency public shelters, and quite interesting. And the the city enlisted the aid of Chicago, who was a resident at the time, and Civil War legend General Philip Sheridan, and they declared martial law. But there were so few, such few lootings that after three days, that was it. They, they disbanded that. So I thought that was interesting.
0: There was and two, of course, go ahead. There's two things of interest there from on a personal level in our, in our family. On one side of the family, uh, we had a relative, great, great, great something or other who had a, a factory in what is now downtown Chicago. And hmm. he was a person who did not really, uh, trust banks and so what he did is he had a profitable business, and he stored all of his money in a safe in his office. And when whoa, the fire whoa, whoa. came, it the, the safe was still there, but the heat was such that it fried the money inside. He tried, oh, my gosh. He, everything he had uh, was fried and it charred. And uh, <clears throat> he tried to get insurance for it, the insurance company, which was burdened by having to uh, pay insurance uh, claims for hundred thousand people who were out of their homes. Um, they said, fine, we'll give you 10 cents on the dollar. He was too proud to accept that. And oh. he just took the loss and went on. And the, uh, the yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. That's funny because they mentioned that people who had safes, the safe survived, but the, but the stuff inside the heat so much. And here it is. That, that was your there family. Was, there was
0: and the, and the place his, 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 it's located, um, there's a skyscraper, two skyscrapers right there. And I took my daughter down and uh, um, and I said, there it was, you know. <laughs> There's where your great, great, great at his factory.
1: Wow, that's interesting. Well, and, and the other thing is, in the years after the fire, he, the author, observes that the the city was really transformed into more of a populist democracy, he calls it, a hothouse of populist democracy Mm -hmm. uh, with the ever-growing working-class immigrant population, which, who were, of course, enraged by the elite, joined together as a unified voting bloc. And to this day, they're they're definitely a a democratic, um, populist uh, voting bloc.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was a city of neighborhoods, uh, yes. when I grew up there, uh, and that city of neighbor, that uh, city of neighborhoods, uh, broke down on ethnic groups, and uh, mm. they were hostile and uh, to one another or mm. friendly, whatever. But uh, they were, in fact, they were the dominant. They were the dominant part of uh, politics in that city. But anyway, it's just a, it's a fascinating city. Fascinating. And by the way, my grandfather uh, claimed <coughs> that when he was a, I guess a ten-year-old. Uh, he delivered a telegram. He was working for Western Union as a, a telegraph delivery boy, and he delivered a, a, a telegram to Philip Henry Sheridan sitting at a, wow. in a restaurant in downtown Chicago. Anyway, wow. so there, it's it's a fascinating, a lot of interesting things happen. Another that's other? why I
1: love I love history because you find out about people, why they did things, how they're interconnected, um, and and people have a point in their in their life where they can choose one way or the other and how it ex- affects all of us. Yeah. Just, just interesting stuff. So,
0: we're going to take another break. Um, okay. This is uh, John Smotanka. All right. But we're talking to Robin Allen, who has been walking us through some really interesting books that um, you might find uh, if you're interested uh, in reading them or giving them as gifts. Uh, as I said, this is John Smotanka run with respect and we'll be right back. Back and with respect with Robin Allen, the owner of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan, and we've been talking about books for the year, uh, the the, the December of 2023. This is John Spatanka. So,
1: okay, what else is out there? I have three more books,
0: they go to it.
1: Okay, one is a topic that I know little about, and it is called um. Emperor of Rome, and it's by Mary Beard, and it has been on best, uh, the bestseller list the last uh, three four weeks. And this is by a Cambridge University classicist, Mary Beard, and she really provides this, this really captivating examination of the social lives of the Roman emperors. It starts with uh, Julius Caesar and it ends with Alexander Severus, and it covers almost three centuries and close to 30 emperors. Uh, and, and What I like about this book is it explores the day-to-day uh, pastimes and practicalities of imperial rule uh, and the relationships between the emperors. She covers everything from uh, how Roman palaces were built for dining with multiple entertainment suites. She follows uh, emperors on their travels, and I like she covers Hadrian. Managed to visit most of the empire, depicts them at chariot races, introduces their spouses and lovers, describes the massive uh, retinue of slaves that she had, that that they all had, and to keep the imperial system going. So, it just sounds like a really I haven't had a chance to read it. I would really like to, but it's uh, it's really a treat for history buffs. But it, and and I like to read it because it's not something I really know too much about, to be honest. I don't know about you, but I do not.
0: I love history, and I love the uh, study of the Roman Empire, Medi- the Mediterranean Empires. Uh, I have not read the book. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually.
1: Yes, it sounds like something. I like to read things. I don't know about you. I like to read things that uh, things that I don't know anything about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to pick up something. Yeah. Um, Uh, For a long time, I went through some science books. I was reading about octopuses, and it is octopuses, by the way. Mm -hmm, Um, mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, I was reading about hawks, or I mean, just pick up some strange things that I I just curious. It's good to be curious. Um, Another of, of my personal favorites are maps. I don't know anything about maps. And there's a really good fabulous book that has come out this fall that we're selling a lot of and it's history of the world map by map it's a really nice coffee table book and it starts with the evolution and migration of our oldest ancestors out of africa and it you can look up books about the greek and uh, the greece and persian war the mongol conquest Medieval trade routes, rise of the Ottomans. I mean, it just goes through scientific revolution, North America uh, exploration, Napoleon, Britain's control of India. It's just I, I took a copy of myself home and I kind of sit it on the table and kind of look through it because there's a, it has 140 maps along with stunning pictures and really informative timelines, and it really this it's kind of storytelling maps and they bring history to life. So, and it's, I like it because it's been published in association with the Smithsonian institution. Mm
2: -hmm. So Mm -hmm.
1: really, really interesting stuff. I really, I really enjoy that. Oh, and I have one more that has, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. Oh
0: yes, I have.
1: Well, Zingerman's Bakehouse has a new book. And it's Zingerman's Bakehouse. Celebrate every day. And if you, have you been to Zingerman's before?
0: I think uh, some many years ago I was. And yes.
1: And it's been a while since I've been there too. But it's an iconic Ann Arbor, Michigan. I mean, it's it's hard to describe what it is. But I mean, there's a restaurant, there's a bakehouse, there's uh, a deli. It has all kinds of just. It's it's really if you're in the area, it's really worth a trip, but it's uh, they have a new cookbook, and it's themed around the importance of celebrating special days with food, and it's organized by season, spring, summer, fall, winter, and they have several occasions for celebration that are listed and paired with recipes, but many of the recipes are things that are sold at the bakehouse or taught in their baking classes, and they're sweet and savory with the focuses on baked goods, but they other, also have other things like salad spreads and, and some, several soups. Beautiful photographs. And uh, so the, the uh, photographer is a food and lifestyle photographer based in Detroit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: R- really good. And Anne, Amy Emberlings is the one who put this together. She's the managing partner and master baker at Zingerman's Bakehouse and a longtime resident of Ann Arbor.
0: So that's a nice Michigan book. Well, I was I, I was going to tell you about my one experience at Zingerman's. Somebody, uh, a friend of mine said "Very, very same thing that you just said. Oh, you've got to go to Zingerman's. I said, what the heck? Who is, what is Zingerman's? And so I went there. And it was a great experience. Food was excellent. But it was an experience beyond just the food. I, I enjoyed it. And I can see why it is, uh, or was, and still is, uh, a go-to place. A go-to place. That's
1: it. Re- it really is, and and for someone who wants a cookbook and has, doesn't have everything, uh, it it really is a treat. Really is a treat. So that's what I have, John. For well, you
0: know, I'm going to add one because uh, sure, I long time ago, I, I picked up a book by Martin Cruz Smith. And Martin Cruz Smith wrote, uh, I think his first novel, or at least the one that, uh, at, the t- at the beginning of, uh, of a streak of, with a certain character, um, uh, was called Gorky Park. And Gorky Park was made into a movie. And it's set with it's a uh, Russian police officer who uh, is confronted with dealing with bad things, crimes, uh, that he has to solve, but there's also this overtone of politics that um, the uh, that he has to deal with, the apparatchiks and the uh, the party and whatnot, and how he navigates between uh, faithfulness to get the bad guys uh, and keeping his own skin. If that if the person if the bad guys happen to have political connections, is actually quite interesting. Mm. He also wrote a series of other books, uh, not by, um, with, I can't remember the fellow's name right this minute, the, the detective, uh, but every one of them that I've read is just very fascinating. Uh, one is, deal- a, is
1: the last name Renko?
0: Uh, yes, Renko, very good, yes, that's right. But there's also one uh, or two about uh, Los Alamos, the, uh, the nuclear uh, testing, uh, creation of the, the, the atomic bomb and... And um, and on and on, some very good writing, uh, but he he does have a skill in bringing you into a deep kind of a morass of fog and and swamp, and and you you kind of you're always cheering for uh, how how can you do this? How can you get out of this one? And so it's it's a fascinating book and and a, and a good a good author so. I, the, I would. Those,
1: those kind of, um, I, they made a movie out of it with uh, William Hurt, Gorky Park.
0: That's the one.
1: Yes, I cannot watch those. I get too anxious. I get so nervous. Mm-hmm. But how is it going to get out of this? I'm, well, you know, see, there ah. is
0: there is. I come back to the scent of evil, but it's also the scent of danger.
1: Danger. Yes.
0: Danger. And I can't
1: do
0: it. I can't do it. yeah, yeah that that is that that is true. That, that is uh, also an attraction yes. uh, to not only well, I mean, you talk about the the book Wager. and I've seen that uh, reviewed in uh, several um, newspapers and, and magazines. so it's got a good a good buzz as I guess as I guess you guys say. Um, but the the story, has got to bring out something of of danger. Now, for example, you mentioned a couple of books, and the plots seem, well, wait a minute, I've heard that plot before in a different book. But it's the skill of the author to take you from page one into their world, their experiences, um, their views, and their characters, and make you forget that the same... Plot or the same basic facts might have been found in one, two, three, or four other books over the centuries. It's um, it's
1: a, it's a disaster. You can't look away. <laughs> That's right. And you have to know, and you not have to know how the disaster. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Great, great.
0: Well, we've we've run through a number of books. We've uh, also talked in our last segment about uh, uh, child's bo- children's books and young adults' books, and uh, putting all of them together, I think there's an awful lot out there for people uh, to take to, if, if they are readers, there's good things out there. If they're not readers, yeah, this is a place to start. Uh, if you can find a good book in a quiet night someplace, reading in, you know, in your bedroom, on your living room, your den, whatever, and have uh, the ability to walk through the pages into the world that the author creates. And, and read what you like. And read what you like. That's right. And you know what? One thing will lead to another. Yes. So we, we see that in people who are uh, successful. David Baldacci, Martin Cruz Smith, um, who, who are able in... Multiple books to keep people entranced and keep them going with their their particular style of writing, and uh, you know I I take my hat off to them so that they can continue for a long period of time to uh, entrance readers and keep them uh, coming back for more. And remember, the other one I remember is the the, the, the series. And I can't remember the author. You I know you'll remember it. But the cat who. Um, series. And I just can't remember the name of the author, but uh, Uh, Oh, let's
1: see. Louis, is it Lillian Braun? uh,
0: I think that may be Mm -hmm. it.
1: I'm not sure. I think it's Lillian Braun, yes.
0: All right, well listen, thank you very much uh, for joining us again and we'll look forward to talking to you in the springtime, see what else is new is out there, all right?
1: And happy holidays to everyone and and read a good book today. That's right.
0: Read a book. Thanks, this is John. Jo- this is John Smetanker. run with respect, and we've been talking to Robin Allen, the owner of Forever Books in beautiful downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. Uh, we've been talking about books, trying to uh, get a flavor of what's out there. But whatever it is, read books. Read books. And remember, until next time, our motto, if you show respect to other people, They will show respect to you.